HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink, and uh, in my spare time, the beverage director at Del Anima Lartuzzi and Fora, and the newly opened La Picho restaurant down in uh, downtown New York City. Um, super excited today. I'm here with a good friend of mine, uh, Monica Samuels. Um, uh, Monica is the sake expert uh, of my life, but the sake expert for uh, uh, Southern Wines and Spirits. Um, and sake is probably the drink that I love the most but know the least about. So I'm going to be asking you a lot of questions today, Monica. <laughs> Welcome on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, this is really exciting. Anytime I have a, a sake question, it, it's uh, it's. I'm either asking Monica or going to this great little shop in East Village called Sakeya, um, and th- I find them to be super helpful. But I still find sake to be something that is uh, that is uh, confusing to me, um, delightful and, and absolutely delicious, but but truly confusing, um, mostly because of the of, of how challenging it is to read the labels and and. I don't know. I can't remember distillery names, um, but let's try to let's try to uh, unearth and uh, and and figure out sake a little bit. I'm I'm really hoping that by the end of this show, I'll, I'll know quite a bit more about sake. Um, so let's get started. So, well, sake is made from just it's just rice, water, and yeast, right? Yes, it's rice, water, yeast, and there's an enzyme that converts the starch into sugar called kojikin. Mm-hmm. 
And so I imagine that since there are so few ingredients, each of them is extremely important. Each of them is extremely important, but I think what sake brewers really like to stress is that it's the method of production and the skill of the brewer that makes each sake stand alone. So the production is so much more important than the ingredients. Okay. Okay, great. They're quite kind of the opposite of, of what a lot of my favorite winemakers will say. Absolutely. That, that, that wine that's all about what the land has given you and what the grapes ultimately are, and the winemaker gets out of the way. Here, it's it's a real artisan, a real craftsman um, kind of thing. Well, so then, but then, uh, so let's just talk about the ingredients quickly then, because um, I do want to find out all about the, the technique and the skill of the, of the, of the distillers. We have, uh, we have rice. Is it, is there... Is there a, sp- a particular kind of rice that has to be used, or do people use any sort of rice? You can technically make sake from any kind of rice, but there are types of certified sake rice. And the big difference between sake rice and rice that you eat is that the starch is isolated from the other parts of the rice with sake rice. So the starch is isolated in the center of the grain. And so when you you can polish away protein and fat and other impurities that are going to make the sake taste rougher and just expose the flavor and aroma of the rice when you make premium sake. Okay, so the the more premium the sake, would it be fair to say the more polished it's been? Yes. Okay, so if you have if you polish off quite a bit of it, you're left with just a smaller amount, it's more concentrated, more yes. flavorful, and you're getting rid of this this other stuff you said it's fats and proteins? Yes, and just other um, just other impurities that make the sake taste rougher. So you can as you polish more, I guess you're approaching a higher level of elegance and refinement and kind of flawlessness in the sake. But some people prefer a more rustic sake. So premium sake in general um, is polished. It has at least 30% of the outer rice grain removed. But um, it's kind of a matter of preference as to what you like. If you want something super floral and elegant or if you want something that's a little more earthy, and depending on what you're eating. Okay, so then how do you know the general rice grain polish level when you're looking at a bottle of sake? Do you know if you do you know that it's going to be a more rustic style or or not as rustic style? Well, most importers have been really good lately about putting it on the label, and so you'll see a percentage, and generally it's the percentage of rice that's remaining. And mm-hmm. so if you see a label that says 65%, it would imply that 35% of the rice grain has been removed, and um, so the lower the number is, the less that's remaining. So the lower the number, the more refined it's going to be. So if you see 50%, that's as polished as it's going to be. It's probably super expensive sake, right? Yes. Um, it, it can go further than that. Okay. Yeah. I actually brought a sake to taste later that's polished down to 35%. But. Oh, wow. I don't think I've ever tasted anything like that. Okay. So we have the the, the rice grain, the polish. We have the certi- their certified grains. And then... Um, anytime you're doing any sort of uh, distilling or brewing, you have to convert that grain, especially if it's if it's not from fruit, which already has sugar. You have to convert the starches in the grain to a fermentable sugar. And so you, I can't remember what you said that was oh, called. So there's well, so sake is brewed, and um, a lot of people say it's it's made like a beer, but it drinks like a wine. And so it's most similar in production to beer. And so since beer is made from a malted grain, that sacrification or starch turning into sugar happens naturally but with sake there's a mold that's grown on steamed sake rice and that's called kojikin and it converts the starch into sugar and it also um, produces a lot of amino acid content which gives sake kind of another element of umami okay and the kojikin gives it umami 
That I did not know. That's really, really fascinating. And that breaks down the starches, breaks down the sugars. Then you can ferment, uh, you can ferment those sugars with, um, you know, I just ch- tasted for the first time uh, Yamaha sake, or at least the first time that I knew about, which I guess in, in, in the natural wine world, there's this whole debate over how important it is for uh, a yeast to be the ambient or natural yeast for the grape versus a, a purchased yeast. And I guess the, the Yamaha sake is, from what I understand, the most similar to those natural wines that are made with the, with the ambient yeast. Is that correct? Yes and no. Um, It's still made, the yeast is still a cultivated sake yeast, but um, it's open tank fermentation, all sake is, and it's not, I think that's confusing because when you do with wine or with beer, it's so, it's to introduce natural yeast, but once you have a full tank of fermentation, there's such a strong cap of CO2 that nothing gets in there, Um, but the yeast starter is where Yamaha is different from other types of sake. Um, in the yeast starter process where they try to propagate enough yeast cells to transfer to a full tank, usually brewers add lactic acid, which kills all the wild yeast and bacteria in the air and activates the cultivated sake yeast. And so Yamaha depends on naturally occurring lactic acid. And so by raising and lowering the temperature of the yeast starter, they wait to create natural lactic acid. So it takes about twice as long. And even though it's still cultivated sake yeast, that that is that turns the sugar into alcohol, there's a lot more interaction with the environment. And so Yamaha sakes tend to have like a funkier, more um, like smoky or earthy quality to them. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And so is that similar to more similar to the way that sakes might have been made hundreds of years ago? Is it has sake production changed in in the last hundreds of years? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that the luxury market in Japan in general kind of really took off after World War II, and so this whole super premium sake thing has is, is relatively new in Japan. So I think uh, um, and making these sakes that you can drink like a wine and enjoy with a meal um it's a much longer fermentation much colder fermentation fermentation after the yeast starter is generally about 40 days for premium sake and so this kind of more artisanal approach to making sake is is something that is relatively new mm-hmm. oh that's that's really fascinating um okay and so how, and then the the water i know that the you know, sakes are made from different regions of of Japan, and I always assumed that the regional influence had to deal with the water. Is that is that an accurate statement? Yes, that's a totally accurate statement because um, sake is kind of unique in the way that it, there's no appellation system, and so because the sake is so much about the skill of the brewer and method of production rather than ingredients. Um, as they just kind of decide on a house style and they can source their ingredients from wherever they want. But water, so water really is the only expression of terroir in most cases. And since sake is 80% water, that flavor of the water really comes through. Generally, um, most notable sake producing regions are areas of really soft water. And um, water comes from a well within the brewery. And so when people often look at regions with lots of mountain ranges and lots of snowfall as having exceptional water quality for making sake. But in general, good sake is made with really great water. 
It's made with great water, and then a, a great, talented uh, brewer. So tell us a little bit about how how do you become a great, talented brewer? Are there are there brewing schools? Is, is it usually done in apprenticeship? Um, is it is it something that's passed down through the family? There are a lot of brewing guilds in Japan, and generally, uh, from my experience, there's uh, there's a president of the brewery who mo- usually carries the family name, and then they the brewmaster is not necessarily a part of the family. They might have gotten someone from a really highly regarded guild of um, sake brewers. They're called toji, is the brewmaster. So there are these toji guilds in Japan, and um, some of them, particularly in the north, are really, really well known for having great skilled tojis coming out of them. Yeah, that. So you're this this great toji, and you you take on all these apprentices and you teach them. It's kind of like like a, that kind of system, or how do, how does it really work? There? It's it's a really great community. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the brewmasters that I've spoken to have apprenticed at a lot of other breweries. There's a lot of working together, um, sharing sharing different techniques. There are there are some thing. It, it kind of depends on the brewery. There mm-hmm. are some breweries that are very proprietary about their their methods of production. But I think there's a really nice sense of community as far as trying to help each other be- make better sake. And so what's the most challenging thing to learn? What is, you know, and, and when you're making champagne, the, the, the most challenging thing is, it tend, people always say it's the assemblage. So putting de- the different uh, base still wines together to figure out after its second fermentation what it's eventually going to taste like. With, with sake production, what do you think is, the, is that great skill that, that separates, you know, normal sake producers from, from the great artists? Definitely making the koji, um, which I think every brewer will agree on. So inoculating the steamed sake rice to grow this mold because um, it's it's a very delicate process and you do it in this very hot, very humid environment where it's supposed to encourage bacteria to grow so you can grow this mold, but there's so much opportunity for contamination um, to get the mold to grow in a really even, uniform way over each grain of, of steamed sake rice is something that takes years and years to learn. And I've tasted sake with brewers who will say that, you know, this person obviously needs to work on their koji making. And it's it's something, I think, because it also creates, it contributes to this perception of umami and sake. It It's really, really highly regarded. And it's the most, like, you would never trust that to an intern or something. <laughs> right. So, and then uh, in terms, how many different sake distilleries or breweries are there? Um, a little over a thousand. Mm-hmm. And out of that, out of that thousand, uh, would you? How could you break them down into craft breweries and large scale? Um, how many are are some of the truly great ones? Well, I think that you know, for most breweries, the vast majority of the sake they produce is bulk sake or table sake, and so the market for premium sake is definitely growing, but it's a really small percentage of total sake consumption. Okay, and then out and then out of the breweries are are most of the producers large scale producers, are they small local producers? Mostly small local producers. Okay. Uh, I think they're probably about ten to fifteen really big producers, but most most are very small. And I think I would between I think about three or four hundred export to the U.S. right now. Okay, so that's a pretty that's a pretty decent amount. It is. We definitely have a lot of options here. And if you were to look at a bottle of, of sake and you really don't know much about it, uh, but you do know you like sake, uh, how, would, how would you 
take a good guess that it might be something that is of good quality. Is there any marker on there? Is there any way to... Well, um, I mean, I think the easiest way is to to look at if it says Junmai or Ginjo or Dai Ginjo. I, I always recommend that people start with a Ginjo sake because I think that Ginjos are, have a lot of wine-like characteristics. And so I think they're not too, uh, people are more comfortable with them. They tend to be really well balanced. Um, and so those, the Junmai Ginjo, Dai Ginjo, those are measures of the sake, of the rice polishing. Right? Yes. Exactly measures. So find out what level of polishing you tend to like and see if you like something that's more rustic or, or, or more polished. Uh, both the rice and the eventual sake gets is polished. That's, that's an interesting correlation. And I think that, um, I mean, I think there usually is some information on the label that will help you. Importers understand that sake is really intimidating for people. And so they've gotten so much better over the last decade or so in printing labels that have, that tell you a little more about what to expect. And I think they, that people from the importer, even to the people who are selling sake to the consumer, there's a lot more understanding that sake is more fragile than wine. And so if you if you buy sake from a place where the bottles are really dusty and they look like they've been sitting around forever, there's definitely that concern that you might be getting like a really oxidized sake or something mm-hmm. that's that's been stored at a really bad temperature. So buying sake from people who seem like they really care and know what they're doing is, is I would say, the most important thing. Yeah. So what are, what are some of the, the better places to buy sake in the city? Eh? Well, definitely the place that you mentioned, Sakaya. It's the, um, it's the first sake only store on the east coast and i think it's amazing that consumers have gotten to a point where a store like that can be successful and um, the owners are so passionate about sake they've tasted every bottle in the store they have really amazing shelf talkers so i think that people so many people have these limited views that sake only goes with sushi but you'll read their shelf talkers and they recommend everything from bolognese sauce to like chocolate cake as pairings for sake and so i think it kind of sparks that curiosity um Ambassador Wine and Spirits in Midtown East. They have a whole refrigerated room for sake. The owner is super passionate about sake. And I think, you know, there are a lot of neighborhood stores that have great sake selections. Beacon Wine and Spirits, 67 Wine and Spirits, New York Vintners. So so more than you might assume. Absolutely. Um, all right. So we're going to take a quick break. And, we're, and when we come back, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, how, to, how to store and serve sake, sake and food uh, pairings, and, and, and a whole other variety of sake topics. Uh, you're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Just You're listening to Wilderness Tips by Cookies on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com. And we're back on In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm here with the wealth of sake information, Monica Samuels. She is the the sake expert for Southern Wine and Spirits. Um, You can follow her on Monica A. Samuels uh, at at Twitter. So it's at Monica A-S-A-M-U-E-L-S. That's on Twitter. And follow her for all your your sake recommendations. Uh, Take pictures of sake and send them to her. Uh, We were just talking about, I used to always get these... These uh, people would ask me, "Hey Joe, I had this this red wine in Italy. It started with an L. Do you do you know what it is?" And I'm like, "I I have no idea." Um, and Monica was saying that she would get that as well with sake, but uh, but but things are changing now with, with the iPhone. Absolutely. I mean, I think that people just get so intimidated by the fact that it's a country that they don't know about or a language that they're they're not familiar with, and so they kind of just decide not to process information. You know, I'm sure that you're a lot of intelligent people say stuff like that to you all the time. And so I have people who say, oh, I had the sake in a blue bottle. You know, I think it had a white label. And I'm like, oh, of course, I know exactly what you're talking about. But people are taking pictures of the sakes they've had and showing me labels that they had last night, or they're taking pictures of sake menus and sending them to me. And I think it's just, it's really helping people make more intelligent choices. Yeah, and that's doing a lot for the for the sake industry now that you can Absolutely. just you can take a picture and and be able to talk about it from from that. And chances are, if it's a sake in New York, that as as far as I've found, Monica probably knows about it. Well, um, it's a it's a fun hobby to have to, yeah. <laughs> to try them all. Um, so I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about about serving sake. I was at Sake Ya and buy, buying a bottle of sake and they have these beautiful traditional sake cups and I was like oh you know what I've always wanted to get these these traditional little you know the, these little like they're like two or three or four ounce tiny little earthenware cups and the owner of the shop was there she's like you know you're getting a nice sake it's actually probably better to have that in a wine glass and I was blown away Is that, and it makes sense to me do you, do you agree with that? I agree 100% I mean I think that Japan is a very ritualistic country, and so there's a lot of ways of drinking sake that have been around for generations, but they're not necessarily the best way to enjoy sake, and I, I would say a wine glass is, is definitely the best. Wow. So why, why, was, why would a wine... I mean, I assume that the same way that that would be a better glass for wine, because you can swirl it, you can get more aromas out of it. Exactly. I mean, so many people have only had sake out of these little ceramic thimbles, and yeah. they're never they're going to miss all the expression and different layers and complexity that sake has to offer. So you, uh, a wine glass is really the best way to showcase it. That completely, completely blows my mind. Okay, so uh, let's talk about storing, uh, storing sake. Um, you mentioned that it's really fragile, even more fragile than wine. Well, I think it's important to remember that sake is brewed. Mm-hmm. So I 
have been to dinner parties where people have said, oh, you know, this Japanese guy in my office got me this bottle of sake. I've had it in the garage for 10 years. Do you think I should auction it? Is it worth a lot of money now? And I'm like, would you keep a case of beer in your garage for 10 years waiting for it to get better? I mean, it's sake is brewed and it's supposed to be consumed fresh. And so I think um, definitely drink it as fresh as possible and try to and that's this is where it really becomes important to buy sake from people you trust because it's not regulated where every producer has to put like a born on date on the bottle you'll find that occasionally but um you know really just trying to purchase from people who who understand and care about that once you buy a bottle of sake i don't i don't think you have to store it refrigerated until you open it and after you, you open it you should keep it in the fridge and then it be, it's a little more sturdy than wine. I mean, the great thing about sake is that with most sakes, you can keep them in the fridge for a couple of weeks and they really don't see much change. Okay, so that's, so that's a really great thing. And they have the, they're, they're all in the screw caps, right? For the most part, yeah. You'll never have a cork closure. So you're not going to have cork taint with sake. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I, so I think that's, uh, that's something that's really beneficial for sake uh so that you know you can screw the screw cap is always really easy and then you can have it for a few weeks if you don't finish the bottle um well let's talk a little bit about food and wine pairings we we're talking uh, uh before about at sake yao where they they recommend some pretty off the beaten path some obscure pairings like bolognese and chocolate cake um are there any hard and fast rules are there any anything any kind of uh, uh rules that you go back to when you're pairing sake well, I think what's important to remember is that sake is not wine. And so I think so many people get frustrated with sake because they want it to be like wine. And I talk to so many sommeliers who are like, oh, sake just doesn't have the acidity that I'm looking for with food pairing. But sake doesn't have those tart acids, but it has amino acid, um, which gives a different element to food pairing. And sake doesn't have tannins, but it has so much texture. And so I think that Sake is, in general, is kind of meant to harmonize with food rather than contrast with food. And so people say all the time that it does sake doesn't fight with food. And I, I really think it's true. Um, in Japan, the philosophy of pairing food and beverage is not to have this perfect pairing, but to have something you can drink throughout a meal that's going to harmonize with all these different flavors. So it's, um, it's, it's kind of a different sensibility. Mm-hmm. And so are, are there some foods that harmonize better with sake? Well, I think that there's uh, like a lot of briny foods work really well with sake. There's there's this kind of uh, there's a briny kind of nutty, almost cherry like quality to a lot of sakes that I think really embraces oily fish or like briny olive flavors, Mediterranean flavors. Sake and caviar is one of my favorite pairings. Oysters, definitely. Um, how about like prosciutto and smoked meats and that sort of thing? Absolutely. I think uh, salty, fatty foods go really well with sake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can totally see that. So uh, you brought a bottle of sake. I've never, I've never quite seen a bottle that looks like this. Yeah. I actually got this uh, in the mail um, from one of a producer that I'm really close with from Miyagi. And so this brewery, Katsuyama, um, is pretty interesting. The the vice president of the brewery he's also a wine expert and he has a restaurant in paris and they have at the brewery they have cooking schools and they have an italian restaurant and one of the most interesting things that i learned from visiting him is we we really tasted a lot of food and then would pair a wine and pair a sake and we would decide which is the better pairing and so it really like we would have 
sake with veal stock. And we would decide that that was a better pairing than a red wine. And so I think his, his understanding of wine has really helped him to make sake that goes beautifully with a lot of international flavors. Okay, so what are we tasting now? Um, so this is a Junmai Daiginjo and from Katsuyama, and it's made from Yamara Nishiki, which is definitely one of the most highly regarded types of sake rice, and it's polished down to 35% remaining. So Junmai Daiginjo means what? So Junmai, Junmai means pure rice sake, and Daiginjo is this polishing minimum of at least 50%. So Daiginjo is the most elegant classification of sake. It's so fruity. It's very fruity. Uh, It's super aromatic, but I think it has enough complexity to pair with some richer styles of food. Sometimes you get these really tropical fruit sakes that seem like they would would really um, get in the way of a lot of flavors, but I think this has enough richness to stand up to. It's not, yeah, it's not tropical. It's more like uh, white peach and floral and citrus blossom, that, that whole kind of uh, lighter, whiter, brighter uh, fruit, but super aromatic. I didn't know sake could be this aromatic. Yeah, and I think that um, there's it's, it has a really explosive finish, and all this kind of white pepper and punchiness on the finish is is great for introducing people to sake because some some sakes are very very restrained and very subtle and they're beautiful as well but i think that it's kind of the same sensibility with the japanese palate versus the western palate in general sometimes the flavors are so delicate that you miss them and sushi became really popular in the u.s after people got these stronger flavors and then it was a good gateway to get into more delicate styles of japanese food so i think this is kind of a good good sake for someone who loves wine but might be new to tasting sake yes speaking of sushi i just want to give i don't actually don't want to give the shout out because uh i love this place too much and i don't want to love it so much that i kill it but (laughs) uh i've been going to netta restaurant in uh in greenwich village on an eighth street between sixth and mcdougall and not only do they have uh some of the best sushi i've i've ever had uh but they have incredible beverage selection. They have great sake, great wine. The cocktails are ridiculous. Yeah, it's their cocktail program is amazing. I mean, it's it's all savory cocktails, I think. And the food at Netta is really, really special. I um I had dinner at Ushi Wakamaru last night actually. It was my first omakase experience there and it was it blew me away. It was so good. I, I love Ushi Wakamaru. That's another one of my favorites. Um it you go, I love when you go you go there and then you sit at the bar and you and do omakase. It's such a, a completely different experience from sitting at a table there. At a table, for some reason, it feels like a more traditional, normal uh, sushi restaurant. But there's something like rock and roll about about the omakase there. You see the chef pounding a pint or larger than a pint of, of beer behind the bar, and I don't know. It's really like fun and raucous. It, it's great. Yeah. I mean, if you walk in, it just feels like this diminutive neighborhood joint. And then you sit at the bar and you have this fish and it's just, he's so, he's so particular about where each type of fish comes from. And he's Mm -hmm. such a wealth of knowledge. It's really amazing. Yeah. That's, uh, this, I, by the way, just killed my whole class of sake. (laughs) The sake is outstanding. It's, and you're right. It, you know, usually I I think most sake that, uh, I've had before kind of, doesn't have a long finish it it it, it 
it, it's in your palate. It's it's delightful, and then it uh, and then it goes away. This is something that is just like going on and on forever. Uh, this is probably the best sake I've ever had. Oh so my gosh. thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad you like really, it. That's really really cool. Um, where else? So we like to drink at at Neta and Ushiwaka Maru. Is do you think that sake has a place at in a non Japanese restaurant? Absolutely, um, and more and more places are experimenting with sake. I just did a staff training yesterday at Morel Wine Bar where the food is definitely not Asian or really Asian influenced and they have six sakes that they serve there and I think that there are a lot of people who love to drink sake and would drink it a lot more if they realized it was available outside of Japanese restaurants and even, I mean, I work with a lot of places in Long Island and Westchester and upstate who are experimenting with sake in Mediterranean restaurants and steakhouses and oyster bars. And so I think there's definitely a lot of opportunity to try sake, not just with Japanese food. I'm with you. I mean, we always have, we always have sake in the house and, uh, and I've had it with, with so many different foods and I think it pairs really well and it goes down really easy, uh, which is a little scary. Um, and I, and I, I just love it. I, I'm excited to continue to learn more about it and I'm going to keep hitting you up on Twitter and, uh, probably texting you at all hours of the night saying yeah, i'm at do. decibel <laughs> what should i be drinking um but thank you so much to monica samuels the sake expert of southern wine and spirits my good friend follow her on, on twitter at, at monica a samuels and uh thanks so much for listening to in the drink on heritageradionetwork.org thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.